Hello, everyone, and welcome to Video Games Are the Worst Thing on Earth. Minisode, minisode, minisode. Tiny little baby episode. So yeah, um, I just wanted to record a little thing about my experience going through Hurricane Florence. It has displaced me home-wise. You know, I got a place to stay now. Thankfully, all of our listeners are trolls, and so they helpfully offered him a spot underneath their bridge where he is currently reporting from. I picked the dankest, darkest bridge <laughs> over the most disgusting sewage where I belong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, my computer was also destroyed, and I wanted to just talk a little bit about how that's changed my gaming habits. Because I got a laptop too, but that runs not very many games. Like all, I was trying to play games with Alton yesterday, and he was like, you gotta be able to run Borderlands, man! You gotta be able to run Data Island! Those games suck! Damn, that sounds exactly like me. That's, that's my Alton impersonation. Man! And, uh, <laughs> and I had to explain to him, bro, I only run maximum, like, Sega Master System type stuff. And the reason I bring up Sega Master System... As an aside, Sega Master System, short SM, SNM, Sega knew what they were doing. It's the horniest console by by far. Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of talk about how that's changed my gaming habits. So you can skip that because it's kind of off-brand. My journey started with the evacuation, and I went out a couple hundred miles away to avoid the nonsense. And just basically just kind of like sitting there waiting for the storm to hit, waiting for any kind of news. And I just blasted through Fantasy Star, which is uh, one kind of side effect to having this happen um, and not having a lot of options is that I've finished more games in the past two months than I probably have in the past two years. <laughs> not having the internet has a stra that strange effect on people. Yeah, I just downloaded a bunch of Sega Genesis stuff suggested by uh, people on Twitter. And uh, I got a couple people saying like, oh, you're not going to like Fantasy Star. It's grindy, it's hard, etc. But I don't know. It just really hit the spot for what I needed. Like, I just didn't want to think. I just wanted to overcome this BS. And the experience of grinding up the uh, experience needed to just overcome whatever fucking bullshit the game was throwing at me. There was a couple real nonsense boss fights, <laughs> especially at the start. But honestly, nothing, nothing was harder than that going out on like level one and just trying not to get my shit crushed. Because I was such a weak little babby with no NPCs. But I don't know. It was really rewarding. And... The Sega Master System, I'd never played a game off of, the, off of that before, and so it, it was emulated. The, the colors were interesting because it was, like, a lot brighter than the Nintendo felt, and it kind of had, like, a right. a much more early anime kind of look to it. And it, did, it felt a little bit more put together, and I understand it's one of the most complicated Sega Master System games. But it just, just it is to say that it was really rewarding, and the theme music was incredible basically what you're saying is that you highly recommend the experience of being uh forced to evacuate your home because of a hurricane and spending a couple days cooped up in a hotel room playing games without the internet second master system games not only do I recommend it, I encourage everybody to expect it to happen in the coming <laughs> years. There's going to be more horrific natural disasters ravaging every part of the country and the globe. So I'm just saying, get your get your ROMs downloaded now. <laughs> Not me. I'm safe. 
There's magical force fields around Hawaii that protect me. I could not imagine anything ever bad happening to Hawaii. It is the most fortified place on the globe. Nothing bad <laughs> has ever happened in Hawaii. Famously, December 7th, 1941, a day in which nothing bad happened at all. <laughs> it, was it was Donut Day. Donut Day. Everybody got a donut. Free donuts. Tora, Tora, Tora. That means donut, donut, donut in Japanese. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mentioned this specifically because it kind of led to me getting into more RPGs. And uh, I got back home and eventually found out I was going to have to leave my home. And if you want to know something that sucks, packing up your two-bedroom apartment in 10 days is not something that I recommend. But it's, again, another thing you should expect in the disasters to come. And I played, and I, I didn't get anywhere close to beating it. Um, but I started playing Wizardry 1 just because I've been reading this blog called The CRPG Addict and the guy's playing through every CRPG ever made. And I was reading his Wizardry thing and it struck that same chord. And it was just so fucking punishing. But every moment I got to like be able to get another level, manage to over figure something out about it out, it felt very rewarding. And kind of, I moved on from that after, I gave up after a little while just because it got, it got too ridiculous. But still, uh, <laughs> it, it kind of made me appreciate how it influenced all these other experiences. And because it, it's kind of like the ERCRPG in a lot of ways uh, in terms of what it influences. And that was really interesting to experience and kind of mm -hmm. the, the stripped down mechanics of the games rather than something with a lot of polish. The ER. RPG, I believe, are the ones where they the game just had the graphics and like the mechanics, and then they had refer to page such and such for like the actual dialogue because there wasn't enough space on the disc for them to put on all the text for the uh, story. For Wizardry, you got the game, and then it demanded that you uh, put in a blank floppy so uh -huh. it could create the scenario for you because you couldn't actually just put the, put in the disc and, and play. So that's actually kind of true. Old games like have these incredibly strange workarounds in terms of trying to create a complete experience, especially when it comes to stuff that we're just super freaking used to today, like, you know, having text in a video game. And in fact... I'm such an entitled gamer baby that if a game just has texts, I just I fill my gamer dipes and I throw my whole computer out the window. But seriously, the the other the next game that I that I kind of went went into that I've been playing is I played the Game Boy version of Zelda: Link's Awakening. And that was honestly, it's been a long time since I played a Zelda game because I haven't had a Nintendo system since the Wii. And uh, that was just a real pleasure to kind of go through. With I don't even know what a Nintendo is. It's it's really more of a, a mind control device. Mm -hmm. So whenever you criticize it on the internet, all the people under its thrall will freak the fuck out and come after you uh, and swallow oh, you. I, I think I've seen one of these Nintendo games. I believe it is in the chart of soy fun games. 
<laughs> yeah, this is this was soy fun, and let me tell you, I had a soy great time. <laughs> the strengths of the Zelda games, at least before Breath of the Wild, are their consistency, the gameplay loop of seeking out a dungeon and getting enough new tools to take down the boss, leading into the challenge of tracking down the next dungeon is really rewarding. There's never any kind of meaningful lull as you go through all that. On top of that, every square foot of the game uh, is filled with meaningful stuff to do and packed with side stuff, and it's really engaging in that sense because, you know, it's a lot of times, I don't know, you play RPGs or games, and it's the beginning is good, the end is good, but it never managed to maintain that balance. And this is just all to say... Yeah, your house destroyed it, by a hurricane, folks. It's great. That, that's exactly right. Um, this is just all to say that I, I was engaging a lot more with the, the kind of the more basic mechanics of video games, the roots of things. Uh, mm. Lately... Getting really in touch with the roots of hating women and minorities. <laughs> <laughs> this is where it all started, folks. They didn't even cut, like, it didn't even fit on the disc, the hating women and minorities. They put it in the manual. <laughs> there was a legend in the manual. <laughs> the at symbol uh, was the Irish, the exclamation point, uh-huh. Italians. <laughs> but lately, uh, since I have gotten settled down after getting the apartment done. Alton and I have been using Parsec, which is kind of like a cloud gaming device that basically you do screen share. Uh, And Mm. we've been playing Dark Legacy. Gauntlet. Dark Legacy. As As the dude says it. That is exactly how the dude says it. The wizard Garm has taken the rune stones. We're fucking pissed about that. <laughs> In ancient times, the evil mage Garm <laughs> summoned a being of great evil. And that's all the excuse you need to go through portals and throw bombs in the face of zombies and stuff and orcs. Um, but basically, Gauntlet Dark Legacy, if you're not aware, is one of the most popular in the Gauntlet series of video games. A very popular series in which you run around as either a jester, a valkyrie, a warrior, mage, or whatever. You throw axes, swords, and other kinds of projectile weapons at these monsters and their monster spawners. Uh, I think most people should know what Gauntlet is, but I don't know. There hasn't been like a recent uh, release for the series. It was one in like 2005, but it's honestly, from what I hear, kind of mediocre. I think a lot of people too may not be as familiar with the 3D gauntlets. It was—it's mm-hmm. a real staple of the arcade era. Um, old man Reese remembers playing the the top-down 2D quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Ate a lot of quarters, but I'm not—I've never played the 3D version. It's a nice balance between that old gameplay and a kind of more. A more developed action RPG feel, like, you know, you, have, you save your characters between playthroughs. And it's just it's just a lot of fun, you know? There's nothing too terribly complicated, but, you know, you're exploring, you're battling dipshits. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, use your magic when death comes. It's nothing insanely complicated, but it's, it's really fun. One of the things that I think differentiates it from the later games in the series and what makes it actually good as opposed to the games that came later on. Like, I haven't played them, but I have heard from other people that they lack a lot of like what made the origi- this game really, really iconic. So one thing that I think I have to bring up is the sound design, which I think once you hear 
Red wizard needs food badly. It sticks with you forever. There's just something very unique and interesting about the art style and music and sound design of the game that is very, very catchy. I would agree, and I think it's it's interesting as we've kind of developed all this photoreal video game stuff that the more stripped down 3D, the best versions of that are starting to really feel like its own style, where, yes, it's clear there's not as many polygons. Valkyrie's hair is literally <laughs> a single yellow plane on her head that's just a trapezoid clipping into her shoulders. <laughs> and it looks insanely goofy. But at the same time, it's designed. It's a, it, And to me, too, is like that sound design is a great evolution from the arcade versions where you know you wouldn't have very much voice but gauntlet was famous for having the clips of like elf needs food and that that booming experience they've they've managed to translate that really well which i think is really difficult for a lot of games to to do successfully um while Mm. also having an evolution well, Gauntlet Dark Legacy started its life as a main cabinet game, I believe. One of the later arcade cabinets that had 3D capabilities. So that was the first iteration, and then remastered for the Nintendo 64, and then I think it was finally released for PlayStation 2, GameCube, and Xbox. And we're mm-hmm. playing it on the, an emulated GameCube, simulating couch co-op via Parsec. All this wondrous technology in the future we're currently using to play like a 15-year-old game, which has like 15 polygons in the whole game. And the next thing is that, I, we'll move on soon, but I just wanted to say that the puzzles in it are usually very simple, but basically it just rewards exploration and having a bunch of hidden secret items that you can very easily miss if you're not being careful. And a bunch of puzzles that are solved by finding hidden switches and uh, motorcycles in the background. That's an important part of Dark Legacy. Very important Someone, part. Someone's always riding their hog. And <laughs> but anyway, yeah. And I think the big thing that the uh, sequels were missing were having like those secret elements. Gauntlet's just fucking full of them. Like, unlockable characters, secret areas, hidden paths. It's just really fun. It's something that I find very appealing. It's just exploration and being deeply rewarded for it and i think that's something that some games are missing out on today and i think too what i like a lot about the secrets is that there's always a gauntlet logic to them Mm -hmm. you can kind of always see when the buttons stand out just a little bit you know how to look for them you can see the flashing when you hit the walls Mm -hmm. the buttons that create these crazy chains this button will open a thing and there'll be another button and another button i never feel like the secrets are impossible and like i like to contrast that something against something like doom the 2016 version which i think is a good game but the secrets in that game go against the gameplay because you're doing all this action always got to be moving forward gameplay and then you just got to stop for like 15 minutes and like hop around like a dumbass (laughs) looking because you know that there's a little robot over there somewhere you got to find the lever and it's it's not terrible but it creates this dissonance that Mm. is not compelling and doesn't create for like a a full-bodied game in the way that gauntlet secrets do yeah, it does it does seamlessly integrate into the main game in that usually you're like throwing fucking bombs everywhere, you're throwing knives everywhere. It's just going 
crazy because of all the enemies everywhere. And so more likely than not, you're going to hit the secret wall and destroy it, whether you're trying to or not. And then you're like, oh, what does this do? And then you basically just have to follow the chain from there. And another thing is that Gauntlet Dark Legacy was released before they started selling cheats as DLC. We haven't gotten into that yet, but I think that would be something fun to try. There's a lot of very interesting cheats that are available that do, you know, just fun, wacky things like giant head mode. You remember that? The 90s? People were fucking obsessed with giant head mode. Just by comparison, one of the worst games we've either one of us has played <laughs> it was we tried to play the lord of the rings return of the king game for the gamecube because that also had co-op and mm-hmm. it's the difference between night and day you start out as just you watch big hunks of the movie kind of <laughs> plucked almost at random from that it, it doesn't tell the story not really not unless you're like already understand what's happening yeah <laughs> and then you just you're just doing these real basic weak weak strong combos. Gandalf just wandering around the battlefield like a senile old man. Gandalf. Uh, <laughs> Gandalf. Um, Gandalf. Use your Gandalf magic. The great. Did I mispronounce his name? Yeah, it's Gandalf. Gandalf the Gray. Although Gandalf is pretty good too. I apologize for not being a nerd. <laughs> It was just incredible. It was like five minutes straight of cutscene, and then like it immediately throws you into the game. If you were like off doing something else, you're like, okay, Gandalf's gonna be talking for a while, and you come back, and you're basically getting your ass eaten by orcs. And not the good way that you want. (laughs) And then just imagine you're you're jumping to this game, and before you can even play, you have to watch like five to ten minutes of GameCube era like movie cutscenes it's insane it's really insane um but i think <laughs> we we've underscored that enough one last thing i want to talk about before i bring up the whole point of this little travelogue of mm-hmm. retro gaming is the one new game i've been able to play that kind of matches this theme is into the breach which okay. uh, if if you haven't played it the premise of the game is that you're these three mechs and you're traveling from timeline to timeline to stop the world that has ended throughout and it's very stripped down tactical combat where each mech has one ability sometimes like a passive or something extra and you just have to figure out as you go from island to island clearing out the alien threat how you're going to do these like very basic kind of moves either pushing or pulling or you know you can do damage set on fire that kind of stuff and it becomes this weird game where a lot of the times you know you have uh, one brute guy who can do damage one kind of manipulator class that so you can pull the alien into the line of fire and it always tells you there's no rng whatsoever you know exactly what order your guys are going to attack in what the enemy guys are attacking you have complete control and it's very simple and stripped down like five turns per per map and it's really compelling there's been like communities that are popping up that use like notation and stuff like that turn into this weird like ultra nerdy chess thing i recommend everybody check it out just because it's a great game and if you like tactics games and i haven't played a good tactical game like this in a long time but uh, before I get to the point, is there any other good retro-ish kind of stripped-down games that have compelled you, Alton, recently? 
Retro-ish, I guess. I've been playing through Neverwinter Nights 2. It's dope. It's not that retro, but it's still retro enough to be fucking broken uh, on the PC unless you <laughs> download, like, a launcher for it, which is just really fun. Really fun fixing games <laughs> from GOG that are supposed to work. But that's the only bad thing about that company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing uh, else to talk about with them. Certainly not. I played the first Neverwinter, so that's the same kind of CRPG type experience. Mm, uh, from what I understand, basically, the first Neverwinter's main campaign is not very good. So I watched, like, this fucking two-hour-long review of, like, the entire fucking Neverwinter series. And essentially, their focus was on how the first game, the main campaign, just showed you how, like, campaigns were put together mechanically. And then, like, all the expansions and fan-made content were where all, like, the really good stuff was. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Neverwinter Nights 2 is not quite the opposite, but it's harder to make things with its creator set. But the main campaign has a lot of effort put into it. I believe Neverwinter Nights 2 was made by Obsidian. And so it's interesting to play through it because a lot of stuff that you see later on in things made by Bioware are sort of there. Like, you can see a lot of Neverwinter's influence in their later games like Dragon Age Origins and stuff like that. And so I have Dragon Age Origins and I've never played it before. And so after I play Neverwinter Nights 2, I'm going to try and play that. It's going to be dope. That's going to be awesome. Oh, I'm going to be what? racist to elves. That's one of the features in the game. You can be racist you, to elves. It's cool. You're either going to be the racist to elves or one of the elves that experiences racism. That The game has both. It's fucked up. I'm going to be completely unself-aware, too. So when I'm playing a human, <laughs> I'm going to be racist as shit to elves. And then when I play an elf, I'm just like, why are people so fucking racist to me? I haven't done anything. I look forward to this racism report from you. Hell yeah. We're going to report all the problematic elements in video games. It's what we do. <laughs> All... But we're beloved, beloved and hated for... Mm. The only people more despised than Anita Sarkeesian. Finally, an accomplishment. <laughs> God sent that hurricane to stop us, but we will never stop. <laughs> Do you have any final statements for Neverwinter Nights 2? Mm -hmm. It's good. Playing through it makes me want to go back and finish Baldur's Gate, which I never did because when I was growing up I had the demo disc... Which just had like the first act, the first and second act in it. And then when I did get like the whole set, I had like 13 motherfucking discs. And I was like, I'm never fucking bothering <laughs> swapping this many goddamn discs. And now I've got the GOG version. So no disc swapping, none of that bullshit. I can just play it and not worry about swapping a bunch of discs. I, I think that that would actually be a really great experience once I have time away from work. I look forward to whenever you quit your job in a rage and play Baldur's yeah. Gate. Oh, fucking become a fail son, beat Baldur's Gate. It's going to be great. That's that's the best self one can be and I once an, another recommendation for our, all our audience <laughs> is to be a fail son and play quit Baldur's you, Gate. Quit your job, play Baldur's Gate. All fucking 80 hours of it. Come on, nerds. <laughs> You're going to love so, it. You're going to meet the great mighty Boo. It's a hamster. It's an intergalactic miniature giant space hamster. And then you can play 
Neverwinter Online, the horrific free-to-play MMORPG that destroys the memory of Baldur's Gate by having a whole big thing in one of the DLC campaigns where you have to pay $70 to be able to do anything at all. It's Hell dope. yeah. It's dope as shit. It's like, imagine, imagine a CRPG, but you also get to be a pay pig. Oh, this is great. All right, so to kind of wrap up, the point, the whole point of my little travel log here is that I've had a pretty hard past couple months. I was never in any actual danger most of the time. There was one day when we said, fuck it, we're going to make it home before the rivers crested. We were driving along the freeways, and it was, it was just like we were driving through a lake, and the road was just like right above it for like miles and miles, and that was insane. But other than that, it's been mostly just trying to like organize and deal with shit before the nightmare comes. But the these games have really gotten me through it. The systems, etc., have been really compelling and interesting and it's made me think a lot too about kind of like what's going on recently in games with red dead redemption 2 Mm. and the insane amount of effort it takes to put in triple a games today uh red dead redemption 2 is definitely kind of like the new high watermark in terms of realism horse dicks it's got it all (laughs) and i was listening to jeff gerstman talk about what the reality of games would be like if there was a union if the the game devs were actually treated better games like red dead redemption 2 probably wouldn't exist even if you put on more time more people that kind of thing the amount of organization required becomes just exponentially more complicated. And maybe it's feasible, but Jeff Gersman's pretty in-the-know kind of guy, and he says he has a real hard time seeing how that works. And uh-huh. I think that's a real interesting concept, is that if game devs get the union that I think most of the listeners here want them to have, that there's not going to be games like that in the same way. Oh, no. A game that takes fucking 300 hours to complete. I'll never fucking have time to beat. What will I ever do? (laughs) You know, I'm on the same page. I like Grand Theft Auto just fine because you put on Guns N' Roses or whatever. You get on a motorcycle. You jump a mountain like and hit a helicopter with a rocket launcher. The bullshit open world stuff that I don't care for is kind of eclipsed by the, the fun stuff. But when that's not there, when it's just like, oh, I'm just riding my horse. Oh, look, the horse is pooping. Thank God we put that in the game it's kind of insane to it it makes the game the that kind of open world nonsense to seem like that much more bullshit and if you're playing red dead redemption 2 and you're enjoying it that's fine but the reality is is that those games aren't going to exist and i kind of want to just talk about all of this to say that is it was always okay to me but it's much more pronounced how much we don't need that stuff and games can be beautiful and artistic without that kind of absurd photo reality Um, it's become it's quickly becoming a cliche but why is there a horse dick in the game like every western ever frames the dicks out doesn't show the horse pooping you are aware shit and dicks exist you you don't necessarily need it for your artistic and cinematic experience and if you do need shit and dicks for that experience i'm not going to judge you but i'm going to say it's not something we need as a whole and i don't know um am i talking crazy here what do you think i still think in my heart of hearts 
which is where the thinking happens, that there would still be Red Dead Revolver. It would just maybe not be so colossally gigantic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that perhaps the focus would be on the game, making the game very enjoyable rather than making it a real-life simulation of Cowboy. Well, I think that putting that kind of artistic limitation would absolutely have value. I think that I would gladly sacrifice the Cowboy game in a second to have Gauntlet Dark Legacy be re-released onto Steam with proper netcode. That's just me. I'm sure people won't be mad at me for that opinion at all. (laughs) (laughs) In the end, I think it's not those aspects that we've discussed of Red Dead Redemption 2 that make it good, that make it interesting and make it compelling. That's not what makes video games good. It's the the mechanics. And Mm. say what, you know, and I, I... And the story, for sure, but stories aren't unique to video games, is my counterpoint to that, is that there's a lot of ways to deliver story that don't require an overabundance of quote-unquote realism or just just this, you know, all these extra modes and stuff like that. I haven't played the first... Uh, the current Red Dead Redemption, the new one, but in the next one, you know, there's there's hunting and all these side missions, and you can play Dead Man's Hand. At a certain point, with any kind of big project, if you see things are going to become nightmarish, are going to become too much, going to require extra hours, you have to decide what features are important. And I think that as a whole, the ind- that's what the industry should be doing. And as a whole, they really should just be putting in big head mode, not any of these random bullshit side activities like trading cards and poker bullshit. I want big head mode. I want big head mode, and I want cheats that just make your character turn inside out or something. I don't know. Bring back the cheats. So I think unless you have any final thoughts, I've said my piece. Uh, mm-hmm. This mini-sode is, uh, should be ended before it comes a maxisode. Okay, my final thought is fuck Red Dead Revolver 2. Download and get Baldur's Gate. Play Baldur's Gate and Arcanum. Play Baldur's Gate and Arcanum. Those are both good games. They don't have they don't have horse balls in them, but they do have heart. Play Wizardry 1. Delete all your other video games. <laughs> give, away, give away your Steam account and just live in the world that is Wizardry 1 through 4. Live in the, the Luddite world that we have created for you, where you play nothing but Sega Master System games and uh, games with a total of uh, 16 polygons like Gauntlet Dark Legacy, and you will be a happier person for it. Alright, that's the real shit. Hell yeah. Truth spoken. Mic dropped. Bye.